and um, it's good to see Darlene and her family uh, here with us tonight, and uh, glad they're they're here with us. And um, John chapter one. Verse 40, John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 40, the Bible says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And I want us to ask the Lord to touch our hearts uh, here, here tonight so that we would be responsive uh, to, to the word of the Lord and that it would help us uh, here tonight. Let, let's talk to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful, God, again for the opportunity, Lord, to take your word, Lord, and to preach it. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you help our minds and hearts, Lord, be responsive. Lord, there's things, God, in this, Lord, in this passage that I believe, Lord, can be helpful, Jesus, for every one of us. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that when we walk out, Lord, of this sanctuary, that, Lord, that you would have touched us, that there would have been, Lord, a healing work, Lord, in every one of us. God, not so much physically as spiritually, Lord, mentally, emotionally, God, that you touch us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated, and I want to preach to you on this thought, <clears throat> when God changes your name. In 1948, there were two Harvard professors, and I know that's a, a little while back, uh, but there were two Harvard professors that did a study of 3,300 graduates that had graduated from Harvard University, and they looked at the names of those graduates and began to dig in behind and to see uh, what kind of grades that they made, and then uh, afterwards some uh, of their successes began to come back to those professors that were involved uh, there in that study. What they discovered was this, is that they discovered that the majority of those that, uh, that were successful were generally uh, people that had common names. They had names that 
that were not odd. Uh, they had names that were uh, generally, you would say, that it, it was just a, a routine name. And, um, and then they, they went on to look at what kind of psychological impact that it had on those people. And uh, there, there was that part where that they, they saw that the odder that the names were, then uh, the less that they or the less academically successful they were. And uh, then they, they noticed that even though that they had, had graduated from an Ivy League school, they were very less likely to go into the chosen field of what their major was. Recent research has also given some indication that uh, that our name, who we are, has some uh, kind of impact as to where that we are uh, in a matter of the jobs that we pursue, where we live, uh, sometimes who we marry, uh, sometimes the the financial investments that we get involved in, and and whether or not. Uh, that we are chosen for certain schools or not, that there is a, a certain amount of stigma that comes uh, with those names. These researchers also found that, that people with certain names are more likely to give to disaster relief if their name uh, is something close to or the first initial of their name uh, is close to that storm. Whereas we had a storm here a few uh, a little over a year ago, October of 2018, Hurricane Michael came through uh, the wiregrass. And what they discover is this, is that those people that have names like Michael or Mike uh, were more uh, apt to give to the hurricane relief uh, during that time and even in, in other storms. There was another study that was done in the state of Florida by uh, some teachers from 1994 to 2001 and they looked at it from a little bit different angle and they began to realize that, that teachers treated students in a little bit different way according uh, to the way that their, whatever their, their name was. And I uh, have to confess that, that I don't listen to country music uh, I don't think it's probably healthy for my soul and my mind. However, uh, I do remember that, that one uh, of the great country singers, I suppose they could say, was by the man by the name of Johnny Cash. And uh, he had a famous song about a boy named Sue. And uh, I'd hate to know that my name was Sue, uh, if, especially if I was a guy. And uh, the stigma that would come... <laughs> Uh, two, I should have left that out and should have mentioned that. Uh, that'll be the only thing you remember about what I'm trying to preach here tonight. But uh, th th there's something about that what our name is, it has an impact on our identity. Uh, I, I heard of a, another book. There was a man by uh, the name of Wes Moore. 
And Wes Moore wrote a book called The Other Wes Moore. He wrote that book in 2011. And he told a story about two young men that grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Both of them uh, grew up in underprivileged neighborhoods and and they were familiar with the tough street corners and about how that uh, both of them knew what gang banging was about. Both of them were quite aware of the drug culture that existed there in uh, the city of Baltimore, Maryland. And one of the authors became a, or the author, Wes Moore, became a Rhodes Scholar. He became a decorated war veteran. He even became a staff member in uh, the White House and became a very prominent business leader. But the other, Wes Moore, ended up murdering someone and is ended up now that he is spending a life sentence in the area, in the Maryland state prison system. And so, Wes Moore got in contact with the other Wes Moore and began to interview and they found out that there was something about it that both of them were very much on the same path and the same direction but one of them ended up going in one direction and the other ended up going in a very negative direction. We can look at that research of those scholars that have studied that and we can say that that names matter or you can look at the situation with Wes Moore and you can say that names don't matter. But I would point out to you here tonight from this text that I read about the fact that our names, they do matter. And that whenever we come in contact with the Lord and we begin to be converted, that there is something that takes place inside of every single one of us when the Lord calls us out. This is the same text that I preached from here Sunday morning two weeks ago, but but I want to come at it from a little bit different angle here tonight. And the fact is, is that whenever you look at the Lord changing Simon's name in to Peter, that there are Petros, a stone, that, that there is something about it. And that whenever we look in the Word of God, that whenever you see a name that is changing, that it's usually indicative of there is something about a change in relationship of that particular person with the Lord. Two obvious examples of that would be Abram. The Bible tells us that God changed Abram's name to Abraham and then later on we see that Jacob's name is changed to Israel and now in the New Testament, Simon becomes uh, the apostle Peter. And similarly, I just believe this at every one of us here tonight that that when you come to the Lord that there is a change that takes place in your name because your identity now becomes changed because of what the Lord has done in your life. Now, now I would just tell you that change is generally not going to come overnight. And I think that there are times where that there have been problems where that whenever people 
people feel like that they have, have been filled with the Spirit, that there is this, this abracadabra moment or this magic bullet moment or this magic potion that, that has suddenly come in uh, to our lives. And while it is a powerful experience and you have to be converted, I believe what the epistles have to say to tell me that just because I have received the Holy Ghost that there is still two natures that are battling back and forth on the inside. Therein lies the whole reason that Paul would write to us in Romans chapter 6 where that he begins to talk about the mortification of the flesh and about the battle that takes place and how that it is crucial that we do not live any longer in a place where that our flesh rules us but we allow the Spirit of God to begin to guide and direct our lives. In fact, whenever you look at Simon's change of his name. It is going to take three and a half years or so before Simon really does become Peter and who the Lord has determined for him to become. Whenever we look at the scriptures, there are nine different Simons that we find in the New Testament, we find Simon Peter, the, the apostle. But there's another one that we find that was among the twelve, and that is Simon the Less, or some would call him Simon Zelotes. There is in the book of Acts, Simon Magus, and then Simon of Cyrene that carried the cross on the Lord. There, there is another one, Simon, that was one of the brothers of the Lord that has been identified at times with Simon Zelotes. But they are definitely different uh, men. And then Simon the Pharisee, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7 about how that the Lord was in a man's house, Simon a Pharisee. And, and whenever that woman came in, she anointed uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was Simon the leper in Mark chapter 14. Simon, the father of Judas Iscariot in John chapter 6. And then in Acts chapter 9, Peter would run into one that was called Simon the Tanner, who was a leather worker in uh, that area of Joppa there. But the main one that we find here in John chapter 1 and verse 42 is one of the most prominent characters that you find in the ministry of the Lord. He would go on and he would be a very prominent character in the leadership of that early church there. And then he would write to us two epistles in the latter years of his ministry. But if you think with me for a moment how powerful that the authority and the Lord Jesus Christ was, was this. Was that whenever Simon came in to contact with the Lord, that, that at that point, Simon's life, he always just had been recognized as Simon, but now he comes in to the presence of the Lord and the Lord begins to identify himself as someone that is totally different. Now you think with me here for a moment about how that, that may have been. How, how would it have been if, if Simon had been brought in by his brother in to the presence of the Lord there? there there's already some hint that that uh, Simon is almost having to be twisted by the arm to be brought to the Lord. Because in John 1 and 42, if you see that word there, brought, 
that comes from a word from Thayer's Greek lexicon gives us some indications of, of to drive or to lead or to lead by laying hold of or to lead by accompanying. A.T. Robertson in his word pictures, he says it like this. He said that the use of that word means that Andrew had to overcome some kind of resistance that was put up in Simon's life. I would tell you that here tonight that if you're going to be a soul winner and if you're going to be able to lead somebody to the Lord that there probably will be some resistance that you're going to find in that particular person's life. But you cannot give up because what the fact is is that they need what the Lord has to offer in their lives. If there was any hesitation on Simon's part, you can imagine what happened whenever he gets in the presence of the Lord and, and then the Lord looks at him and says, look, he said, I, your name's not going to be Simon anymore. I'm changing your name from Simon and you're going to be Peter from here on out. Imagine that, that he comes into the presence of a man that is a stranger, that, that he may have heard about him. He may have heard some uh, of the disciples of John make some reference to Jesus, but it, uh, it would have not been a very long period of time because John's ministry had just started and the Lord's ministry was just starting as well. And so it is that, that Peter walks in. You, you think here tonight that you walk in this church and you've never been here before and Brother Patterson or I walk up to you and say, hey, uh, your name it used to be Tom, but now your name is going to be Fred. You're going to look at me like I have lost my mind and you're going to say, these people... Uh, I knew or had heard that they were a little odd, but now I know that they are odd unless you realize that whenever Simon walked in to the presence of the Lord, that it was similar to whenever we came in contact with the Lord and there was something that reached in and gripped our hearts and that our conscience was provoked and that our minds and our spirits began to be, we were convicted of our sin and our conscience was stirred and we then responded to that call of the Lord Jesus Christ. This past week I... Uh I, I, I have come in contact with a, with a man that I, I think I need to get him to come preach here. And in fact, I think that he probably will be here a little bit later on in the, in the year. We've got a, a gentleman coming from Pennsylvania that's going to do a, a seminar, a teaching session uh, in the month of October about holiness. And, and uh, there's a pastor that I met. Pastor Tony Mancino that pastors a apostolic church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And for whatever reason, this man has blessed me over the last two years with close to 400, a little over 400 books. And the books that, that he has sent to me are, are not just shelf fillers. There are some very uh, positive and very good volumes that, that he has sent to me. And he sent me a book here a few weeks ago. It's the biography of a 
man by the name of Master Robert Bruce. And uh, he was a preacher, a Puritan in uh, the Edinburgh, Scotland area. And he followed uh, the ministry of John Knox. And whenever he began to write about whenever he first came in contact with the Lord, that he said it like this. He said that there was something about it. That my conscience, that it was so stirred and that it was so, uh, it, it was almost like it was tormented because here is what he writes in that book that was written in the mid-1600s. He said, I was so fearfully and extremely tormented that I would have been content to have been cast into a cauldron of hot melted lead to have had my soul relieved of my troubled conscience. And always so far as what was spoke that was true, he said, I confessed. And I said, Lord, I want to be restored to your glory and I crave your mercy. He said, yea, I appealed sore to the mercy of God that had been purchased by the blood and the death and the passion of Christ. I had been brought into the court of justice. I was a sinner and there was a price that was against me of my sin. He said, but I was turned into the bottomless mercy of God and what was a court of justice became a court of mercy for me. He said, because on that very same night, he said, before the day, the, before the daybreak or the sun ever rose, he said, the Lord restrained his furies and the outcries of my justly accusing conscience. I pray here tonight that all of us never get to the place where that we want to turn our conscience off and that, that we want to somehow live a charade and say my conscience is not important because your conscience is very powerful. And when the Lord begins to use your conscience and begins to speak to you, what is he doing? He is turning you in a direction to say that, that we must be able to allow the Lord to talk to us. And once Simon came under the authority of the Christ, it did something to him. And if ever there needed to be an authority of the Lord, it needs to be in this generation here, today and tonight. That whenever we come in contact with the authority of the Lord, that it ought to be bringing us to a place of complete surrender. That's almost a foreign sound in our ears here in this generation where that, that it is a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's a happy and clappy gospel. It's like, hey, if you come to the Lord, the Lord has got a wonderful plan for your life. Whenever we have to understand that the Lord wants to save us and the goal of life is for the Lord not to make us happy but for the Lord to make us holy. That's what you find throughout the word of God is that the word is there and it's saying I want a holy people. I want a holy church. I want a church that it has a high regard for the scriptures and it has a high regard for holiness because hear me out here tonight church the greater that our desire for holiness the greater that our desire for uh, the word of God the greater that our desire 
for our conscience to speak to us than the more that it adds to our element of worship. We have all been in places and times where that we observe worship. We were involved in worship, but we found at a certain point that that worship, that it was superficial. I don't want superficial worship in this church. I want it whenever you walk in this place that there is a depth of worship here, that there is a depth of commitment that you feel here, that when you walk in and you begin to say, I'm in the presence of the Lord. How does that happen? That happens whenever we come under the authority of the Lord and we say, Lord, I am willing that I will submit to you and I will allow you to change my name and change my identity. We can't ever forget where that we have to live a life that is going uh, to be where that the Lord is completely in control of our life. In Matthew chapter 19, the Lord told the rich young ruler, he said, I want you to sell everything that you have. What was that a call for? It was a call for lordship. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 and 22, the Bible says that only those that do the will of the Father are going to be saved. That is a call for lordship. In Luke chapter 6 verses 46 through 49 there are those that call the Lord. They call Him Lord but they do not do what He asked them to do. What is that? It's a call for lordship. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36 the Bible says there that we are to make Him both Lord and Christ. That is a call for lordship. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 9, he is the Lord of the dead and the Lord of the living. That is a reminder of lordship. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11, every tongue will confess him that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is a reminder of lordship. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 36, he is described as the Lord of all that is another reminder of the authority that the Lord has hear me tonight this life is so fleeting it passes by so rapidly that we have to submit to the authority of the Lord because that is really the only hope that we have here are some questions that I have for you here tonight has the Lord changed your name are you living under the complete authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do your priorities in life, do they reflect the fact that there is a priority of the Lord's Lordship that you are given there to Him? The Lord saw so many possibilities in Peter that whenever he looked at him, he said, you know what? He said, I see a man that I'm going to change his name. And we realize that whenever we come in contact with the Lord, that the fact is, is that the Lord does not see us as to who and to how we are, but he sees us as we can become. And that is called the grace and the mercy of God and if the Lord did that with those disciples back in that first century he does the same thing with them now in the 21st century and we've got to come under the authority of the Lord 
because the Lord sees so much more in every one of us. And so the authority of the Lord, what He has available to Him, has the ability to change us into disciples. But not only do we have to look at the authority of the Lord here, we also have to look uh, at the fact that whenever Peter encountered the Lord, that, that his character had uh, to be changed. That, that would be a process. Your character does not just change overnight. Here is a man that is coming to the Lord. He's probably somewhere pushing middle age and he comes in contact with the Lord. And there's times where that, that his, his character would be changed by the power of God. And I think that all of us here tonight, that we have to say that there's been times where we've come into contact and literally the power of God has changed us as to who we are. You say, what do you say? What do you mean by that? Well, there's no greater example, I would think, in the life of Peter than in Matthew chapter 16. The Bible says in Matthew 16 and 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, speaking of Jesus himself, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven that happened in Acts 2. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that was a power in that Simon had with the Lord. And whenever he came there, there was a part where, and you've experienced those things, those times, I hope, that whenever you come in to the presence of the Lord, that the Lord changes you with a power encounter. That there's something that takes place in your heart and in your spirit. And you think, oh my Lord, how in the world can you work in something as measly and as miserable as what I am? It is the power of God that is in action. And that's what we have to understand and know here tonight that whenever you came in from wherever your past was and the Lord filled you with the Spirit and touched your life, that that power encounter, that it changed you. I trust here tonight that you remember what that power encounter was and it ought to cause you to get your hands in the air. It ought to cause you to open your mouth up and begin to pray and begin to praise and begin to worship and say thank God for what you've done in my heart and in my spirit. <laughs> I suppose that my mind is is fresh because of the, the rally Friday night. It was one of those those old-fashioned rallies where that they let all the ministers get up and, and do like they used to do whenever we used to go to fellowship rallies when I was a child. But uh, Brother Wells got up and began to rehearse uh, just a small portion of his conversion. He and, he and I went to eat here a few weeks ago and he, start, started, he told me a lot more about 
about his conversion and what he related Friday night, but I like to hear how people came to the Lord. I, I know how my parents came to the Lord. I know how a lot of you came to the Lord. I, I, I know they're starting these prayer and share groups, and I, I think about Sister Mullen and about how that they took her to a David and the Giants concert sometime in the late 70s, and the Lord filled her when the Holy Ghost at Troy University. Brother, uh, Brother Pittman has shared with me how he came into the church and there's something about it that whenever you start realizing how people came in to the presence of the Lord, there was a power encounter that began to take place. And that's how the Lord works to change our character as he brings us into his power and into his strength. And he says, look here. He said, whenever you come into the presence of my power, you can't leave there the same way that you walked in. Then the Holy Ghost is going to work in your heart and in your spirit. <coughs> Amen. I'll talk to tell on Brother Robert Williams just a little bit here tonight for some of you that may not be aware. I, I remember it's been probably pushing 20 years ago now. I don't know how long he's been coming to church, but on Saturdays, uh, Brother Patterson and I would go out and do some visitation. We'd go out and see uh, Brother Robert Williams, and, and he generally would come outside, and, and uh, Brother Patterson would be talking to him. I didn't know him really, and uh, Brother Patterson would be talking to him, and I, I'd sit there and look at at uh, Brother Williams, and Brother Williams, uh, he's just off out looking off, just out. He wasn't, I didn't even know he's even hearing a word Brother Patterson was saying to me. He was just off out, just looking off out, hunting birds or something. I don't know what he was doing. But but anyways, he, he came into this church, and the Lord filled him, refilled him with the Holy Ghost. He's been an important part of our church over the last number of years. Whenever you start thinking about a power encounter, then you you realize that the Lord is working in your heart and in working in your spirit. What's he doing? He's trying to change your name. He's trying to change who you are and say, you know what? There used to be an old man. There used to be somebody that walked the ways of sin, but I've reached down and pulled them out and I'm going to save them. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost here tonight, you ought to think with a moment about where you come from and the encounter that you had with the Lord and what God's done in your heart and in your spirit that he changed your name and he brought you into his glorious kingdom of light. <laughs> but just as the Lord changes our character with, with, with power, if you have your Bible open, you look there in Matthew 16. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22 that the Lord comes a little bit different angle now and and he looks there and he says, Then Peter took him, talking to the Lord, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee. Because the Lord had kind of let him in. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to end up being crucified. And the Bible tells us that Peter turns around and he looks at him. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, Be it far from thee, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here is the way that God works on our character. The Lord can change our character with power, but there is another way that the Lord works, and that's this, is that there's times the Lord changes our character by the nature of rebuke, and we don't like that. We don't like somebody turning around and telling us, you know what, you're acting like the devil. You're acting like a demon. You're acting like some fool that's out there in the world. That gets us stirred up on the inside. That's why most of us could not have the Apostle Paul as our pastor because all you gotta do is read through the book of Galatians. And whenever Paul wrote that Galatian epistle, here's what he says. He didn't cut any punches. And you start reading what he told that church at Galatia. It's almost like it's one rebuke right after another. And we don't like that in our generation. But listen, if your character is going to be changed by God, it's going to have to be changed by power. But there's also going to be some times when the Lord rebukes you. Why does the Lord rebuke us? Because we can get just like a bunch of Pharisees. Oh yeah, we can. And we can get self-righteous. And we can start leaning on some of our past victories and our past accomplishments and we can start saying, hey, I'll tell you what, I don't know where the kingdom of God would be without me. Listen to me. The kingdom of God is going to move on with me or without me. I am not the one that the kingdom of God revolves around. And what I have to realize is this, is when the Lord starts working with Peter's character, there was a lot of things in Peter's character that the Lord said I need to take care of those things and change them what, what, what kind of things rash headstrong proud impulsive unstable outspoken constantly at times speaking out of turn what takes place is Peter starts that time where that, that his flesh starts exerting and starts pushing and yet we like the power, but we don't like being, get behind me, Satan. Now I wonder what in the world would happen if some of you husbands went home tonight and, uh, and, and sometime next week you got into a little skirmish or something. And you turned around and looked at your wife and said, I tell you what, Satan, get behind me. I tell you what, he'd get awfully frosty around the house. Well, what, what, what about if, if it turned out where that, that maybe the wife looked at, at the husband and said, I tell you what, Satan, you, you better just shut your mouth and get behind me. That, that probably wouldn't work too well either. What if some of you parents started looking at your little old children and started asking them the question, why, why do you want to let the devil use you like that? 
which is probably what some of us parents have all thought at times past, that we have wondered in our minds is, is we really have just a spawn of hell that's right here in our house and, and that the Lord is using. These aren't children, they're little devils that we're trying to raise and, and I'm feeding them and I'm keeping them cold and I'm keeping them hot and I'm keeping them dry and all that and, and they want to talk to me like that. Well, I'm preaching now, aren't I? The fact of the matter is this, is that if we're going to come under the authority of Christ, then we also have to realize that the Lord is going to change our character. And He's going to change our character with power, but He's also going to change it at times with rebuke. And we all have to be very careful sometimes about the challenging pressure-filled situations that life brings to us. Because what is the Lord doing? The Lord is using not so much a power encounter as He's walking us through a place to help us to understand that God's saying, you know something, I'm going to let this work in their lives. Now next weekend, I, I hadn't told Brother Naylor he's never met you. And I hadn't told him what to preach, although I do would, would like, him, like for him to tell a few stories about his dad. I may, I may tell him, Brother Naylor, you need to tell a few stories about uh, your dad. His dad was just a wonderful saint, just a great saint in the church there where, where Brother Naylor grew up at. And he pastors the church that uh, he grew up in. But he said that he can remember as a teenager that there were times where uh, that he would get in there and get to mumbling and grumbling and complaining about something that was going on in the church. Something was going on in his life. He was complaining and whining about this or that. And he said, my dad would listen to me for about 10 minutes or so and let me get all out of it. And then he said, my dad and then look at me and say, Wayne, he said, I just want to tell you this. He said, the Lord will use that if you will let him. Well, that's not what he wanted to hear. That's, that's not what I want to hear sometimes. I want to walk up to problems and difficulties, and I want the Lord to tell me, just like he did to Moses, stretch out your rod and the Red Sea's going to split. And yet there are times when God does not work like that and he puts us in situations and if we would get in our minds and in our spirits that the Lord is using that situation if we will let him. What's he doing? He's changing our character. He's changing who we are. And somebody said it Friday night and you heard it before. There's times where you say, Lord, I, I want to live a crucified life. Be careful when you say that because you can't crucify yourself by yourself. It takes somebody else to crucify you. And it's a painful process. And yet the times that we have greatest spiritual growth in our lives is whenever the Lord starts working. And so Simon comes along and you can see a lot of Simon before the resurrection. But whenever you see him after the resurrection and after Pentecost, he's changed and he is no longer Simon. He has become a great saint. He's become a great leader. There's courage that is on the inside of him. There are things that the Lord has built into 
his heart and into his spirit. He's changed his character and he's changed his name because he's used power and he's used rebuke to change him. Alexander McClare and that great preacher of the Westminster Chapel said it like this. He said, this change of name is preached to him and, and to us this great truth that if you will go to Jesus Christ, he will make a new man out of you. There is no evil. No man's character is so obstinately rooted in evil but that the Lord can't change its set and its direction. No man's natural dispositions are so faulty and low but that the Lord cannot develop counterbalancing virtues. And out of the evil and weakness, he can make strength to come out of that. And far too many people feel like that they have to clean up their lives before the Lord's really going to honor. But listen to me here tonight. You don't get good to get God. You get the Lord Jesus Christ and then there are things that He starts working out in your heart and in your spirit. But I would just tell you this, and I'm, I'm working toward a conclusion. Is it just like the Lord wants to change our name? The enemy, the devil, he wants to change your name as well. He, he, he wants to come along and, and instead of a work of redemption, then what does the devil do? The devil says, I'm going to destroy you. I'm not going to let the grace of God actively operate in your heart and in your spirit. And more than just a few men of God, and, and I have made this statement before that we say that a lot of us are living way below our benefits and way below where that the Lord really wants us to be and we fall short of the complete provisions that the Lord has available to us as his children and a lot of times that is used in the matter of power. We're talking about miracles, signs, wonders, healings, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, the great powerful actions that the Lord has in our lives but there's more to being a whole person and a whole saint and a whole Christian than just that. I was talking to a man this week, a good man. He said it like this. He said, you know what? He said, we don't totally live for God entirely on Sunday. There are Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, which means that there are more ordinary times than what there are power-packed moments. And yet it's the devil wants to worm his way into the mundane and into the ordinary. He wants to stand our minds on our heads. He wants to stand our homes on its head. He wants to get into a place where that he can destroy what God starts sometimes on Sundays. And so what does he do? He works to change our names. And he tries to get you to forget your identity 
And you muddle around and I muddle around in places that we really should take authority over. You say, what kind of things can the enemy put in our spirits to hinder what God really wants us to do? He can let double-mindedness get into our lives where that we are almost as committed as much to the world as we are to the kingdom of God. He, He not only works through that, but he can sometimes cause us to be and to have tunnel vision where that he keeps us ingrown and looking within and and that there's never really a greater vision. Brother Patterson was talking about that this morning whenever he got to talking and preaching about uh, Nehemiah, about the eyes of your heart. Have you ever just thought what could God do if I could see the larger purpose of God? But you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to get you so absorbed and so caught up with the interior and the private world tell you something else that he does he uses shame because he works to keep us saddled up with guilt over our past sins and past failures I'll tell you something else that he does he tries to put a constant sense of failure because if he can keep a constant sense of failure about you what does he do He hinders your future service and he hinders your ability for you to be bold. He he works in this way as well where that you're never able to measure up. It's a spirit sometimes that can get in on the inside of you and it uses and the devil uses that as a hot and holds us hostage because of the expectations of others. And here is what's sad is a lot of times it starts in our homes. Because you grow up in places where parents tell you, oh, you're just worthless. You'll never amount to anything. I didn't experience that whenever I was growing up. But there are a lot of people that they grow up in homes where that the enemy begins to work in their lives and people can never measure up. And even though they've had a power encounter with the Lord, there's always that part on the inside that the devil says, you know what? I know the Lord's filled you with the Spirit. I know you're a child of God, but I'm going to keep you shackled down with a chain for the rest of your life so that you're never going to be able to measure up. And in your mind, you hear your mama squealing. You hear your daddy yelling and they say you're not going to amount to anything and the enemy uses those voices and you say you know what all I am is a failure. I'm never going to be able to get to the place and we become held as a hostage and just about the time that your faith starts growing the enemy reaches around and gets you by the neck and says listen to me. I know you go to that Pentecostal church and I know that you know how to pray and I know that you know what spiritual authority is but as long as I've got you under my thumb you're never going to break out. I want to preach to a church here tonight that the Lord's changed your name. You're not who you used to be. You're not Simon anymore but there are things the Lord wants to call you to do and he wants you to fulfill a purpose of God There's other times where irrational fears can get a hold of us. A spirit works to destroy the faith 
to say that the Lord is not enough. He's not going to be enough to help you to take care of every time. There, there's some of men deal with this more so than women. Is there's an overwhelming sense of anger, a desire to deal somehow with personal relationships with force that comes in the forms of physical and mental and emotional abuse. Men, we ought to get that out of our vocabulary. There ought to be something on the inside of us that we treasure the relationships that we have around us. Then there's another one, a matter of abandonment. That spirit comes along and it creates fear to think that if you were abandoned by your parents or you may have been abandoned by a spouse or a family member or a close friend and it causes us to hesitate whenever we start trying to make connections in close relationships. What am I talking about? I'm talking about spirits that come from hell and come from a dark world and they try to oppress us and they try to hinder us but hear me tonight church you know what you can go to places in prayer where you pray against those things where you begin to pray in the authority of the spirit and you begin to say Lord I know that I battle and struggle against these things but I'm just praying tonight that somehow that you're going to release me and I'm going to be completely free and that there's not going to be a hindrance in my heart and in my spirit. Listen to me church there is something about it. You can't depend on your own power and your own street but you've got to depend on the Holy Ghost and you've got to depend on his word and whenever the enemy comes in and begins to oppress you, you begin to say hey listen to me. My name is not Simon. My name is Peter and the Lord's got promises in my life and he's going to help me and I am going to do the will of God and I am going to be a servant of the Lord. I want us to stand and I'm going to share some things here with you. I just have to tell you that some of this has taken place and it's a process that I'm working through right now. And there's prayer meetings. There's times when we're in places where it's it's been private and there hadn't been any fast songs and there hadn't been anybody to pray with me. It's been up there in that little upper room by myself and I'm sorting through and I'm working through and I'm praying Lord you, you, you've got to get these things out of my heart and my spirit and so I just want to tell you here tonight I'm going to walk you through a few things and again one of them one of the times I, I was not even on my knees praying. I was sitting in a chair. And I just started praying. We, we can be completely free. Because here's what the devil does. The devil operates on deception. He wants to create lies that all of us believe. And I've gone through some of these lies here tonight anger, abandonment, irrational fears, 
never able to measure up, constant sense of failure, shame, tunnel vision, double-mindedness, those things can attach themselves and they can get into your heart and into your spirit. And yet the Bible tells us that we can have authority. And the first thing that we have to do is we got to repent. Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And so we have authority through repentance. There's another place we have authority through is through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in that blood. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 through 14 that at the time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's writing to spirit-filled believers. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. They have been filled with the Spirit. Acts 19, Revelation chapter 2. Here's, a, here's another way that the Lord can work. He can work through confession. So He works through repentance. We have authority by the blood. And then He can work through confession. That probably is the most important one. You've got to be specific. And this is best done in a private place of prayer. Where you just start talking, Lord, the, the, these things are in my heart and in my spirit. And I'm confessing them to you. Now, this is where we're getting into the nitty gritty of being an apostolic. Sometimes we associate apostolics with full churches that are, I mean, they're just, just loud and, and people running the aisles and doing what we did in here last Sunday night. It was a wonderful time. But there's way more to being apostolic than being in a power-filled atmosphere like that. There's times where you have to confess. James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then here's another one. And this is the last one. It's through praise. A gratefulness for what the Lord has done in our past. I can't sing this song, but I'm going to read it to you. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth, shelters thee under His wings, yea, so gently sustaineth, 
Hast thou not seen how the des- thy desires before have been granted in that he ordains them? Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord. O let all that is in me adore him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again gladly forever adore him. Here's what I want us to do. I want you just to slip out of your 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 rows there, your pew. And I just want you to come up here and just stand in this altar. You don't have to be loud. You you don't have to be you don't have to be shouting. But it's important for you just to open your mouth up. And just begin to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, the enemy's trying to change my name. He's trying to change my identity. But I'm asking you tonight that these things that oppress and hinder and stop and hold me back, Lord, if these are oppressing spirits, I'm just asking you tonight by repentance, by confession, by the authority of the blood, and by praise, I want those things to be totally removed and totally taken out of my life. Listen to me. Three weeks ago, sitting up there in the upper room, I started praying. And I wasn't loud, and I wasn't on my feet. I was sitting in my chair, just kind of leaned forward, and I started praying. And within two and a half to three minutes time, it was like you just started feeling weight just being lifted off of you. And I believe the Holy Ghost walked into that little room and began to minister to some needs that I had personally. And what I want you to do here tonight is I want you to do the same thing. And I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord. I want you to open your mouth to the Lord and you just talk to Him. And by faith... The Lord is going to touch and He's going to work and He's going to deliver and He's going to remind you of who you are. He's going to remind you